I'd like to invite your attention this evening in God's Word to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. And if possible, I hope you'll turn, because we don't have those verses on the screen above, behind me. And I'd love for you to be able to follow along in God's Word. So Jeremiah, chapter 31. Going to direct your attention to just three verses here. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at a few things as we have time this evening. Verse number 15 says this, Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. So we'll end our reading there, and join me, would you, let's pray briefly together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for those things that we have rehearsed and enjoyed this evening from your word, these great promises, and some yet to be fulfilled. But Lord, as we look back and think of Christ's first coming into the world, on this particular night, we just pray that you will especially warm our hearts. We know that many of these things we, we virtually know by heart. We've sung them so many times. We've read these scriptures so many times. And yet, let it not fail to touch our hearts tonight. Let it not fail to refresh us. Let it not fail to help us to have the joy and hope of this season bubbling up within our hearts and to transform us into the type of people more and more each day that you would have us to be. And we thank you now. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Well, several weeks ago on Sunday evening, we concluded a series which I had titled Women Overcoming Adversity. And we looked at several women from the Old Testament. We first of all looked at Naomi and spent actually four weeks talking about Naomi and seeing that she struggled with bitterness and how she overcame that. And then we looked at Rahab and saw how Rahab struggled with the adversity of shame and what God brought into her life that enabled her to overcome that, the wonderful redemption that's told to us in that, in that great story about Rahab. We looked at Deborah and saw how she struggled with lagging leadership, and we looked at Hannah and saw how she struggled with barrenness. Well, if we were going to continue, and, and there's a thought that I'd like to touch base on that series with you tonight. There's another woman that we can look at. She's named in our text. I don't know if you caught it or not, but it's Rachel here in our text. Look at verse 15. Thus says the Lord of voices heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. Now just a little reminder about who is Rachel. Well, thinking about the history of Israel, Rachel, of course, is the mother of Joseph and Joseph was the father of Manasseh and Ephraim. And so when you think about those two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, they were the two most populous tribes of the northern kingdom. So by figure of speech, when the writer, Jeremiah here, is talking about Rachel, he's talking about the nation of Israel. And more precisely, in thinking about her children, we might say that he's thinking about the mothers of the nation. And what is it that Rachel struggles with? What is this adversity that Rachel struggles with? And of course, it's loss. It's unspeakable loss, really, when you think about this, because although when we were talking about Naomi, she struggled with the loss of her husband and the, the loss of her two sons, 
This is multiplied on a scale that I think is virtually incalculable for us because now you have the mothers of the nation and the nation itself mourning their children being taken away by the Babylonians into captivity and into a fate that they really did not understand except that it obviously involves separation from them and what's more grievous to a mother. She refuses to be comforted for her children, it says in the end of verse 15, because they are no more. Lots of ways you can take that, but the very least of them is that they were being taken away into captivity. Now, you may sort of wonder about the mention of Ramah in the verse. Ramah is a, a small village or place about five miles north of Jerusalem in the tribe of Benjamin. And according to Jeremiah 40, which we won't turn to, but according to Jeremiah 40 in verse number 1, Ramah was the place from which the Babylonians staged the deportation. So that's why the city of Ramah or the village of Ramah is mentioned here. Now, in this passage, I want us to ask a simple question because if we're talking about women overcoming adversity and we're thinking about Rachel this evening, is there a way in the text, I mean, I don't want us to, <laughs> I really don't want in any message that I bring for us just to be on some kind of a merry goose chase trying to conjure up some type of an answer. It, it needs to be from the text. And praise the Lord, there certainly is, because when you get down to verse number 17, look what the prophet says. He says, there is hope for your future. Think about how powerful those words are. And even though there's nothing that we can say that's really going to put a dent in the kind of grief that these mothers and the nation faced as their children went off into captivity. Nevertheless, for Christians and for us to know that there is hope is transformative. There's an incredible, amazing power that's involved in Christian hope. And so the answer to this, this horrible loss it's the hope that we have, and it's the hope that God promises here. Now, specifically in the text, notice verse 17 again. What hope are we talking about? There is hope for your future. What exactly? That your children shall return and come back to their own country. Now, you might sort of be wondering, well, why are we looking at that? Isn't this supposed to be something about Christmas? Well, let's go over to Matthew chapter 2, and there are several verses that we need to pick up there. In order to complete what we're doing tonight, Matthew chapter 2, right away you recognize that somebody says Matthew chapter 2, that's part of the Christmas story. Specifically, we want to notice verse 16, and I'll read several verses here. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, this is intriguing to say the least because when you read the words that we read in Jeremiah, and you ask yourself, what did they mean to Jeremiah? And what did they mean to his audience? They meant what we said a moment ago. They meant that those women in the nation as a whole really were, were grieved at the horrible loss of their children going into captivity and could, it, could in some sense have that loss ameliorated by God's promise of hope that they would return. But then we come over to 
look at the usage that the evangelist is led by the Holy Spirit to make of this, and he says it was fulfilled in an, in an event far distant that Jeremiah could have had absolutely no thought or understanding of, and that you probably wouldn't have thought of either unless God told us this is what was fulfilled by that Jeremiah spoke of. In what sense are we exactly to understand that? Because when you go back and look at Jeremiah chapter 31, it has a, a meaning there that's clear enough. You come here and the prophet says it's fulfilled in what takes place here. And I think the answer to this is this is not the first time that you find an event, an actual historical event in the, the life of the nation of Israel that has some bearing on or is fulfilled later in the life of the true Israel, the greater Israel, her Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know this story. What, what exactly happens? Well, the wise men, they see the star, they come. They come to Jerusalem. I think they were aware of Balaam's prophecy. I think they knew the significance of the star. I think that they knew that it meant the king. I think they knew that it meant the Messiah. So the natural place for them to come was Jerusalem. They came inquiring, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And when they found the answer to that, then they said, in Bethlehem, that scripture was read for us here tonight. And so what did Herod do? Well, he dispatched the wise men under color. He portrayed himself and put himself off as someone who was interested in acknowledging this king. So he said, you go find him, and then when you have ascertained where he is, then you come bring me word so that I may also come and worship him. And we know that Herod had no such thought in mind. We know that he was filled with guile. We know that he regarded the prophecy and fulfillment of a king, of a messiah, as a rival, as an enemy. And if you know anything about Herod, you know that he <clears throat> absolutely brooked no rivals and that he was dastardly in his life and dealings, even within his own family. And so he dispatches the wise men. Well, we know that they're warned by God. And so rather than returning to Jerusalem and telling Herod what they have found in that place, even though they have found the king, and even though they have seen the fulfillment of Balaam's prophecy and the star and all of that, they departed into their own country another way. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 16. I feel a little funny about the translation here, tricked, because it implies that the wise men were acting in a, a duplicitous way with guile. And I, I really see it simply that they didn't really know what was going on when they saw Herod. They didn't really know that he was a deceitful person and had ill intentions. They were warned by God. That's when they became aware of this, and they obeyed God in this. But nevertheless, it is kind of good to see the trickster tricked, isn't it? And that's what happens, but he's enraged when he finds out what happens. And so he dispatches soldiers to the city of Bethlehem. They go into that place. They kill all of the children who are two years of age and under. And so now you see something in the life of the Messiah, the greater Israel, that has been mirrored to some extent in the history of the nation itself. And in that sense, Matthew tells us, this is now the fulfillment of that. But it is intriguing, and I point you really up to some verses up above that we had not read before for a parallel example of this. I think this may help for us to understand a little bit better what I'm trying to point out. Look at verse 14. It says, He rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill. So this is, again, the same thing. This was to fulfill 
What the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, Hosea wrote those words. But when you think about it, when Hosea wrote those words, he was thinking about an event that took place historically in the life of the nation. And that was, of course, that Israel went into Egypt and came up from that place. But the prophet says, and the evangelist says, that it had a touching point in the life of the history of the nation. There was a place in which it, it touched upon the life of the Messiah, the greater Israel, and came to be fulfilled in its fullest extent and sense when the Lord Jesus Christ was taken down into Egypt as a, as a babe and then brought back in order to, to dodge the wrath of King Herod. Now, we're going to wrap this up tonight. I want to just try to bring you back to the thought tonight, loss. I, don't, I doubt seriously there's a person in this room tonight who has escaped the scourge of loss. Loss, unfortunately, is a part of life, but the loss that we're talking about here, as incalculable as it is to think about mothers in a place like this and having their, their infant children stripped right out of their arms and slaughtered by soldiers, probably right before their very eyes, or to think about the children of the nation being led away by heathen pagan soldiers into a captivity, never to see them again, there is another loss, and anything that I have said this morning pales in significance to that loss. Jesus spoke of that loss when in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, he said, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you this evening, there is no greater loss that you can contemplate than to go out of this world without the forgiveness of sins, to be eternally separated from God, without hope and without God in the world, and to be in a place for all God's eternity that the Bible refers to as hell, a place created for the devil and his angels. There is no loss that's greater than that. But in what we are thinking about here tonight, there is hope. There is hope for your future. And I realize that I'm talking to a room tonight of people, the vast majority of whom have professed Jesus Christ as Savior, and most of those, I am sure, know him as personal Savior. So let us who know this hope, this hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Let those of us who know this hope, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not experience that loss, but in fact have everlasting life. Let us rejoice. And for anyone here this evening who may not know Christ, who may never have experienced that hope, you may. You know, if you would simply be willing, honestly, from your heart to confess your sins, to acknowledge your need of a Savior, and to be willing to turn from that, and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ who is fully offered in the freely offered in the gospel and the eternal life that he gives then as that verse says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life there is hope there is hope for your future